Hello and welcome to the Joe's Art History Podcast, a podcast which celebrates all things art historical every single day. It's episode 21 and today we have a brilliant, brilliant guest, Lloyd Spencer, who is a photographer and artist as well as an art historian based in Leeds and today he's going to treat us all to a look into one of the Dutch golden ages and indeed art histories of course, greatest painters, Johannes Vermeer, with a particular interest on Vermeer's women. Johannes Vermeer is by far one of the most important artists within the canon of art history, but he's also one of the most mysterious. But despite being considered one of the greats, Vermeer really doesn't have a lot of works attributed to his name. Famously, there's only about 35 or 36 paintings which art historians believe to be Vermeer's. And as Lloyd is about to point out, a lot of his subjects are taken up by women. This is an incredibly interesting conversation with Lloyd, who has a real passion and love of Vermeer. And he really makes you think and look again at some of Vermeer's best known paintings. It's really incredible. Even more impressive is that Lloyd has created just for this podcast, a website that you can follow along as we discuss the images, which allows you to compare the images as we discuss them, as well as some further notes and thoughts from Lloyd himself. So it's really incredible. And the link to that will be in the show notes below. So I would definitely encourage you to go and check out the website. It really is quite incredible what he's put together for this show. So thank you so much, Lloyd, once again for doing that. In this episode, we talk comparisons, Vermeer's love of primary colours, the theme of pairing, and just why Vermeer is so fascinated with women throughout his paintings. So sit back and relax as Lloyd and I discuss Johannes Vermeer and the women that he paints. Lloyd, for people listening that perhaps have maybe heard of the name Vermeer but don't know very much about him, who was Johannes Vermeer? So he was a painter uh, who was born in 1632 in, a, in what is still quite a small town in the south of the Netherlands, near the border with Belgium. Um, died in 1675 at age uh, 44. And these days, it's not unusual to see coffee table books that are titled um, The Age of Rembrandt and Vermeer. So is accepted as being one of the, the, the truly great artists right up there. But for many years, for more than a century after his death, he was more or less forgotten. And the few paintings that he left behind were attributed to other better known painters. The extraordinary thing is that there are just 35 or 36 paintings that survive. And actually, I think most people feel that that is probably all that he painted, which is, which is quite remarkable. And the other thing is that so many of his paintings are about women. And so many of his paintings are painted in the same space, the same interior. So it's, it's woman, 
doing women's business, playing music and uh, writing letters and things inside the home. So I think then my next question is, like you said, you know, there's all these books which are entitled, you know, Vermeer and Rembrandt, you know, in the Dutch Golden Age. His most famous work, of course, is The Girl with the Pearl Earring, which it was made famous by a certain book. <laughs> yes, um, uh, uh, I'm not very, uh, I'm, I'm not very fond of that book, uh, but a lot of that's people, quite all right <laughs> a lot of people will have well i have, I have very specific re- reservations about it a lot of people will have first will have encountered vermeer's um wonderful painting on the cover of that book staring up from tables laden with uh the novel by tracy chevalier and uh this the rather um beautiful but but weird film that was made of it um so uh we can come to uh uh some of the reservations i have about it vermeer's life is pretty much a mystery we have we know very little about about it but what we do know about it had great drama in it none of which has is included in tracy chevalier's treatment of it but much more Importantly, I think she doesn't see the drama in that painting. It's a very dramatic, very unique work. Uh, it is like no other, and 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 she just doesn't seem to see what's going on in that extraordinary painting. But um, I'd rather talk about Vermeer than talk about uh, her rather. Californian fantasy. <laughs> no, of course, before we started recording, you made a really wonderful point about Vermeer's life and his works, and that because he's painted so few, his work is actually very accessible in terms of when you buy a book, for example, about it, his life. Yes, it's very it's very easy to move beyond the few really great masterpieces that stick in the brain. Um, because almost any book that you buy will have all of his works. In fact, the confusing thing is that just 35 paintings doesn't really fill up a book. So if you buy a book with Vermeer on the front cover and called Vermeer, you're quite likely to get a book that has lots of paintings by his contemporaries, by people who lived in and around Delft often, uh, who painted similar things, who painted women playing music, writing letters, uh, women in the kitchen and so on. But it's very easy to get to see the whole um, life's work, really. And there are, beyond the girl with the pearl earring, there are five or six images which, once seen, stay in the brain forever. Complete masterpieces which are like no other. When I was a child, I had the, his painting of the milkmaid as a poster on my wall, which I love mm-hmm. very much. It's got a, you know, one can go there. There, there are many servants in paintings of the time, but there's very, very few painted with that kind of love and care, with that sense of stillness and grace. And the other ones which people will probably know, the view of Delft and the artist in, in, in his studio, and each of them is quite, quite extraordinary. 
and like no other. I mean, really like no other. It's easy to say that about any painting or painter, that their work is unique. But if you look at those paintings and try and think of another painting that is remotely like it, they don't exist. Those just have something which is hard to define. But looking at those paintings, you, there just is nothing quite like it. And Vermeer is a great um, temptation for writers because we have so few documents have survived. There's some court records. He died in uh, impoverished. So there are records about what happened to his, his estate and things like that. But we have just the paintings. It's quite unique in, in, in art history in the sense that we really have to, we're thrown back on the paintings. We have to look at the paintings and and we're not going to be satisfied. We can ask a lot of questions, but, but we're not, they're going to stay mysterious and um, questions uh, in a sense. Mm, yeah. And I, I think it's so interesting what you said there about how, we're always asking questions and that there's there's you know people you know art historians in particular have really tried to sort of kind of almost kind of Agatha Christie work out Vermeer's life I mean and preparing for this podcast I had a look on YouTube and there was thousands and I mean thousands of short videos long videos there's about seven BBC documentaries on Vermeer over the ages and it's it's really, really incredible how this artist who had such a short, not only lifespan, but very limited artistic outpour, which is a question and a, an obsession for some in itself. But what I really want to talk to you about and what you have been so brilliant when we've discussed this previously is Vermeer's love of depicting women and why it's always women or nearly always women. Yes, I think I think there there is there there is something so marked about that and and mysterious. So the depiction of woman, so many of his compositions are are similar in many ways to those painted by his contemporaries, and yet one feels somehow that his approach is and his feelings about what he's painting is quite different. Um and there's a strange kind of um, it's, it's a quite strange kind of limitation even within uh, the depiction of woman. So we know that his wife had was pregnant fourteen times. Uh, Eleven of his children survived. We see no children, uh, more or less, in any of the paintings except two tiny little figures in the street in Delft that he painted. No children. Um, even the, 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 what, the activities that the women are busy with, we see them playing music, we see them writing letters, but everything's pristine in the house. He doesn't paint work except, and this is true for so many of the things one can say about Vermeer, there are exceptions. Um, so there are two paintings the, the the maid pouring the milk and the lace maker which do depict activities um, and and the, the activities which are absent from all the other paintings that business about there being two paintings of woman at work um, it's a very strange thing that 
people may not notice at first, which is that nearly all of his paintings are, pa are painted in pairs. So when you, if there's a painting you really, you fix on, it's worth looking and thinking what it's paired with. And very few of the art historians even mention this fact that, that, that everything appears to be painted in, in pairs. Uh, mm. It suggests that a, a different kind of thinking behind behind his work. So the business about pairs and exceptions. So it, you know, it seems as if he is being quite systematic in in moving forward and covering the ground. So painting certain things, and then um, because there's a gap, like I just mentioned about woman. Uh, I just mentioned that there's a gap. He doesn't paint work. So there are two paintings that depict work. Uh, his paintings, there are men in his paintings, but they're nearly all about women, mm -hmm. except there are two paintings that have just men. Uh, his paintings are all paintings of interiors, but there are two paintings, the view of Delft, which is a big landscape painting, and the little street in Delft, which is also a little painting, there are two paintings of exteriors, which are, you know, only two in his, out of all of those paintings, which are which are very definitely paintings uh, not painted inside, not of interiors. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. And like, I have to thank you because when, when we've spoken before we recorded this and you pointed this out to me, I was like, how have I never noticed this before? But I suppose... It's one of these great things about Vermeer is that he has a lot of detail and a lot of things hidden in plain sight. And you you brought my attention to another thing, which is so obvious in Vermeer now that you've pointed it out, but his love of colour pairing within these pairs. Absolutely. So so you can get fixated on the, 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 the clothes and costumes, the chairs. Um, you know, there's a... There's, there's a pairing and uh, a sort of compare and contrast in the in the compositions but in the overall color scheme so um one of his paintings very well known and very very beautiful is a pregnant woman reading a letter in front of a map usually called the woman in blue reading mm. reading a letter and and it's absolutely amazing and much much better known than than the almost exact same pose of uh, it's usually called a girl in a at, reading a letter at an open window, uh, and it's it's all yellow and golden. Um, there are there are tiny patches of blue in the carpet and so on, but it's an almost entirely yellow picture, and the two poses are are so similar the, and that business about the yellow and the blue again it's a bit of a mystery but if you think about it um it has a lot to do with the the very very special atmosphere that there is in his paintings hard to explain but but those are primary colors and um and they have very positive they have very definite and positive associations don't don't they? We we associate mm. blue with calm, and yellow with sunshine. And I think one way of saying what's so special about Vermeer is the way that the the light comes into the into the paintings. 
Mm. Uh, so I think that that business of the open window, often on the left of the painting, the light coming in, is is absolutely um, a, a central feature. The way the light falls across the um, across the the, the the painting, and a different way of putting that. If you look at the paintings of his contemporaries, you're painting often very similar subjects. Their treatment of the shadows is different. We we get it, we get a sense that the light that's come in has lit up, has filled up the whole room. We get a sense of the light filling the room. And his contemporaries are, are, are using light and shadow in different ways. Um, they're much more likely to let areas of the room, areas of the painting kind of disappear into the shadows. Whereas somehow in Vermeer's painting, uh, in so many of them, that there seems to be light even in, 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 in the shadows. You've explained it so beautifully there. And it, it is, it's one of these things that when you when you really, really look at the painting, I'm looking in particular at Girl reading a letter at an open window. And even the shadow of the of the window on the sort of plain wall behind her and the folds of the carpets and the drapes and even her reflection in the window, which is something, again, I completely missed until I, I looked again for this podcast. Everything is so beautifully handled, but of course it just completely, I don't know, cements the fact that he is considered Vermeer, the master of light. Well, and it, absolutely. And, and it seems to me that it's no accident. It's not by chance that he was forgotten for so long. Um, he, he was rediscovered in the 19th century by someone who'd been involved in the 1848 revolutions in France and had to flee into exile, a guy called Thore. And, um, but what I think is most significant about that is that that was a few years after the discovery of photography, that, that actually um, if you look at, at some of Vermeer's paintings, they look like the earliest photographs. So people, people were struggling with, 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 with slow pro photographic processes, albumin prints and so on, to render tone and detail. And, uh, and, and, and suddenly of all the Dutch paintings, and there were it was in the golden age there were just you know many hundreds of thousands of paintings painted in holland many 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 with similar subjects to vermeer but but these just stood out jumped out and 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 thore was intelligent enough to say wow you know here's here's something really special going on and uh, made it his business to try and find out more and uh, the you know the name Vermeer became known again I know it's it's just incredible but there's also an interesting link there with so you're you're saying about the sort of discovery of photography but there's also a great theory between art historians and researchers about Vermeer's love of perception and that perhaps he used something called a camera obscura when he was painting Yes, it's a, it's a strange business because um, 
there are still not many um, art historians very nervous of the claim that Vermeer uh, may have used an optical devices. But when we look at some of his paintings, there are many things in them that 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 suggest the use of a lens. So that wonderful maid pouring milk, if you look closely on the table, the bread, which is uh, lit up by the sun, the the light forms in little 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 bubbles of light, and that's very like the effects that that that's produced by some lenses. But there were many many artists at that time were experimenting with optical devices of all kinds, and the other thing is that the two men that uh, Vermeer treats most kindly most that he he elevates to kind of heroic status are both scientists whose work involves lenses so the the pair of pictures the geographer and the astronomer they're both um, men whose whose whole world is tied up with use of of lenses maps globes etc um i think art historians get nervous about attempts to kind of tie down exactly who these people were and where Vermeer might have uh, shared his knowledge of optics and so on. But it, it it's, doesn't seem to me at all surprising that he that he should have been involved in that world. Mm. I mean, because at this time as well, um, the Netherlands, they were a huge uh, trading nation. They were very liberal. Women had much more rights than most places in Europe at that time. And again, at the forefront of, of science and thinking. You know, I'd just like to go to, to, to something you said there. It's absolutely true. Foreigners who went to the Netherlands were amazed that women had the status that they did. It, it was a very liberal country. It accepted uh, refugees from around the world and so on. The different, um, the, although it suffered through religious wars, Mm. Uh, people of all religions were tolerated. Women had a, a really strong position compared to almost anywhere else. Uh, and yet it's kind of important to remember that their voices were almost never heard. That if we study the period, everything that we know about it has come to us from men. And I, I just mentioned that so there, there were you know, a tiny, tiny number of women poets uh, and writers and so on, but tiny. And that most women, uh, just their world would have been completely mediated by men. So if they went to court to tell their story, of course, it would have been written down by, you know, it would have been recorded by men, judges sitting on court cases and so on. I think that's just quite important or quite interesting to remember when you notice how many uh, women stare out of pictures. Um, in many of Vermeer's paintings, women are turning, looking at us. And of course, the most dramatic look, the most shocking look is the one that fixes us in the, when the girl with the pearl earring looks at us. Um, we look at her, but she gives us a look that it's hard to recognize because uh, it's shocking 
it's fleeting. Um, so the woman looking out of the canvas is not is not unusual. That they, you'd find it in lots of Dutch paintings of the period. But you you'd be hard pressed to find to go back and find the woman's voice. Hmm. It's such an interesting thing to think about, really. Um, and like you said, his two paintings of of men, geographer and the astronomer. They just appear very worldly and um, you know these are intelligent men doing important business. And I think the other thing that just struck me looking at them again um, is, is just that, like the woman, he's caught them at moments of calm and contemplation. Mm. Uh, which, and, and, and so that's another way of, of pointing out how much Vermeer stands out. We have women, uh, we have lots of women writing letters or women playing music in the work of his contemporaries. But, but hardly ever do we get the sense that we, we're sharing that moment with them. We're sharing that, that sense of a, of, of a specially quiet but quite intense moment. Um, I'd just like to say also about that the 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 subject both those two subjects the the music and the um the letter well you if you think for a moment there's two ways at least in which they connected music um uh, is often written down and if you look at if you look at some of the paintings you can actually see that what's in the woman's hand is in fact the music that's been written down almost like a letter. Um, and then in order to play the music, we, we pick up the, the music that's written in order to interpret it uh, a bit as like receiving a letter. And of course, the other way in which they connected is through the subject of love. Music in, in paintings of the time has associations with love. And um, in the paintings of the time, uh, this this partly, I think, expresses uh, an anxiety about women uh, who are, in a particularly in a um, partially Protestant country, are better educated than most, mm. able to write letters. I think that there's a in the society there's a kind of anxiety about about the fact that through letters and reading. Women are, it, it, women are exposed to the outside world, whereas they spend their existences uh, in the interiors. The, the letters come from afar. And, and there's a kind of anxiety, that, the, the same kind of anxiety in some parts of the world today about uh, women using mobile phones. That, that actually it, it means that they can talk to anybody and, 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 and they their lives are not as easily controlled. Yeah, and that they're sort of branching out. And you also see that as well in, in the idea of, because um, in a lot of Vermeer's interiors, you know, they're set within the same similar rooms, but there's yeah. also a lot of maps on the wall behind them as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, just, it, it's worth mentioning in passing that those maps are painted with such detail um, that that people have been able to identify the exact map, in fact, the exact edition of the map. That's amazing. 
which is quite extraordinary. Yes, and and the other thing is being pointed out that that the maps are they are themselves historic. So they're maps that have been around for for some considerable time. So they show the country uh, as it was bef- um, some decades before the actual painting. It's impossible to know whether this is deliberate. You know that, that whether there's some some deliberate reference back to an earlier age. Mm, absolutely. I mean, and there's a great example of a map that has, the detail is incredible, like you said, and the one in particular that I'm thinking of is the painting um, allegory of painting. So the, the artist in his studio, and he's sort of painting his model, and he has that in the background behind the, the woman that's sitting for him. And and, and you can even see where the, the, the map is creased or cracked yeah it's it's amazing but also on the sides you have perhaps places of interest that you might want to visit or ports and what they look like yeah it's it's and, incredible and the, the 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 other thing that's worth mentioning if people do look at that and the map doesn't look familiar is that uh, those maps are west side up whereas ours are normally north side up oh so, okay <laughs> i had no idea no, it, it is the extraordinary. So there are maps in several of Vermeer's paintings, and um, that business about about um, the maps which occur in several paintings, those drapes, uh, wonderful drapes, the mm. chairs that are, uh, the same chairs appear in several of his paintings. It's pretty clear that those are things that he had about the house. When you look at the the painter in his studio he's not wearing work clothes he almost never i'm sure he would not have ever painted in 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 his finery in that yeah. way um and and the the different um the different rooms we do see the same room used over and over again it it appears as if he painted only in two rooms and that may well have been the case so that use of the camera obscura and optical devices they may have been quite difficult and cumbersome to use and been set up only in those two rooms but there's another thing i just want to say when looking at the the allegory of painting it's a mind-blowingly beautiful painting it's just staggering yeah and like so many of vermeer's paintings it's paired Everybody loves that painting. I mean, I've never met anyone who didn't admire it. And yet the painting it's paired with is is not liked or admired. As well as the allegory of painting, there's an allegory of faith. And um, people dislike it so much. It's, in many ways, it's quite similar in composition. It has drapes on the left and the subject over a um, in the middle distance in the same way so it it, it has many similarities it's this, it's an identical size it's clearly a pair and in fact the source material is the same so both compositions draw a great deal on a an emblem book that was uh, in in common use at the time the iconology by cesare ripper so both both compositions are taken from that that book but um the allegory of faith is i just want to say this because um people going to explore a bit i think will be 
a bit amazed that uh, having admired the masterpieces that there are pictures of his that just don't excite in the same way they're pictures that don't that that look a bit flat and yeah. particularly there 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 if you know we admire so much the way he treats women in the best of his paintings and yet when we look at some of the women's faces they they look like um kids drawings of you know round balloon faces and and just don't have that um uh they just don't have that richness that that makes us want want to want to look and admire yeah uh, and almost kind of step in yeah which is so funny because i associate vermeer as as a master of his craft and it wasn't until you pointed out some of his lesser known um, or the ones that have sort of less airtime, if you will, that I really saw it. And it was it's so interesting and also comforting to know that even a master such as Vermeer still got it really wrong <laughs> at times. Yeah. But I think I think it's important for us, in a sense, to admit that be because, you know, we've only got 35 paintings to to enjoy. We, and we people like me have a great love and admiration mm. for for him you you want to embrace them all and certainly the allegory of faith is 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 not embraced by all so you get art historians trying to explain away the slightly strained uh overall effect by saying oh this must this must be somebody must have commissioned him you know he must have done this for money whereas he did the the other for love um i that doesn't fit with the Vermeer I know who who seems always from beginning to end to have approached everything as I said systematically I use that word I, I really mean it I, that he, he, he seems in advance to have thought how his paintings fit together and there's a piece of a little piece of evidence that me perhaps should be fitted in here he died in poverty three years before his death there was a what the Dutch call the year of disasters when the French uh, decided to invade again and uh, the art market fell. He ended up in poverty, not because he wasn't selling his paintings, but because he was an art dealer and a dealer in fine things, tapestries and so on. And uh, suddenly the market uh, wasn't there. And um his wife, after his death, his wife really struggled to keep his paintings together. So some two decades after his death, she was still at a court case trying to, to stop his uh, paintings being sold off, to trying to stop the sale of his paintings, trying to keep them together as a collection. Uh, again, quite a, a, a strange thing and probably we'll never quite get to the bottom of, mm -hmm. of why that was why that was but it's um you know it, it, it's such a strange and challenging circumstance gosh it would have been nice to see a, a good novelist uh, have a go at explaining yeah. it <laughs> rather than rather than pursue some fantasy uh so, you know that that has nothing to do with Vermeer the other painting that I think most people are familiar with and and take to their hearts is the view of Delft. Oh, I love this painting. I love this painting. And it's hard. You know, I think 
if you love paintings, you, you look at lots of paintings and it seems natural to love this painting, but it's quite hard to work out why we love it so much. And, you know, again, I, I think that business of the blue and the yellow, uh, it's a painting that is full of sunshine and actually full of rain. Uh, almost, you know, it cheapens it to express it in a parable, but it's almost like we look at it and it tells us that into each life some rain must fall. Mm. Um, because here are these people um, quite quite near us, standing very calmly, socially distanced. <laughs> now they are, and they're talking, you know, very patiently. One woman has a basket on her arm, um, going, you know, going to bring home the, the vegetables from the market or whatever. Everything calm and peaceful. Sun is shining, but above there's this dark cloud. And if you look at the water, you suddenly notice that, that there's, there's, there's a ripple on the water, which is being caused by, by rain or wind from the clouds. Uh, suddenly, in this very tranquil scene, we realize that, uh, you know, the, the glistening on all those roofs in the distance is actually because they've been soaked in rain, but they, it's caused them to sparkle. Uh, so even in something as as extraordinarily calm as that, there's there's actually a great deal going on. The weather forecast for this evening is yeah, yeah. It's just it's just amazing. But even in the background um, of the painting, you can kind of just you know the weather is starting to. I don't know if it's starting to turn or it was uh, showing what it was previously but you get this amazing sort of sunlight kissing the top of the houses it's just there's so much detail and there's so many things that you can lose yourself in and what I love about this painting in particular is how quiet and how still it is which is I think also what Vermeer is brilliant at he gives you these he invites you into scenes of like moments of contemplation. Um, Joe, that's absolutely true. And it seems to me a, a really good way to come back to uh, the girl with the pearl earring, mm -hmm. and uh, which actually is more often or more properly simply called the head of a young girl. But that point that you've, the reason why it's worth coming back is because there seems to me to be no calm this is not a moment of contemplation. The the element which seems to Tracy Chevalier is not able to see is just how shocking that she should turn her eyes and fix us with her gaze. She is a young girl. And, you know, even in the relatively liberated uh, uh, atmosphere of Dutch society, the attitude expected would have been one uh, of that was demure and uh, shy rather than brazen. And, you know, this is a moment when she hasn't even made up her mind what, what to make of us. And the, the beautiful thing, if you do look at that painting in detail, is the shine on her lips, mm. the, the sparkle in her eye, you know, perfectly 
balance with the sparkle on that pearl. You know, it has been said that, that Vermeer himself gives us a metaphor. You know, she is a pearl. She is a pearl among women. She's, you know, there's something so sort of just perfect, but not in a sense of, of glamour or thing like that. Just just exquisitely herself. Oh, I love that. I think that's a perfect way to end it. I don't know about you, but... <laughs> no, I think that's it. I, you know, I think it's great to come back there and just to say that that's the wonderful thing about Vermeer is we have just the paintings, but it, how wonderful that we have the paintings and just yeah. to have the, have the courage to look and not know all the answers. It's not that uh, the art historians are out to fool you, but there's nothing actually going to touch the 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 experience of of just looking at uh, and being ready to be looked at by that young woman. Mm. Well, that's it, and I think I would encourage anyone listening, and I think you would agree with me, Lloyd. You know, if you there's an incredible website actually called The Essential Vermeer, and I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. And what's so brilliant about it is this person that runs it. I think his name's Jonathan he doesn't only just break down every painting, which of course is only 35 that are attributed to Vermeer, but every painting he has points of interest. So be that the curtains or the earring that this woman is wearing or the headband or the carpet, the floor, it's, it's an incredible resource. And I would thoroughly encourage everyone to go and check it out. But more importantly, is it tells you where you can see these things. And it's, I think, you would meet an art historian. I, I, I think there would be something wrong with them if they didn't encourage you to go and see these things in the no. flesh. No, absolutely. And that that website uh, easily found if you just put essential Vermeer uh, as one word into uh, a search engine. Great testimony put together by an amateur. But, uh, you know, in this case, amateur, someone who clearly loves Vermeer and... Uh, there are so many signs of how much Vermeer has come to be loved. Mm. So, so, you know, there, there, there is just masses and masses and masses of ways to enjoy his paintings. But that website is a fabulous resource. Oh, it's, it's amazing. And I have to thank you because I would not have come across that had you not pointed that out to me b before we recorded. It's just a fountain of knowledge and then some. It's, it's incredible. No, and beautifully balanced, you know. Oh, yes. Mm. Put, put, put together without, uh, without anyone's reputation being at stake. So he's not, not arguing the case for this or that interpretation. So it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful wonderful place to go absolutely um lloyd i do have one last question before i go um it is the joe's art history podcast and you can take this as wide or as sort of personal to you as you want and it's quite a big question and that is why is art important art is important because um we can't escape thoughts and images of of that are disturbing even horrific um i wouldn't want my head to be filled only with those and i think that uh particularly looking at somebody like vermeer i think that it's wonderful to have rich 
satisfying and um, life-affirming images to populate one's, one's imagination and carry us through the day. Lloyd, thank you so, so much. I have loved talking to you. I have loved delving into even just sort of tiny scratching the surface of Vermeer. Thank you for the questions and um, for making me and hopefully the listeners really think about this artist who we think we've asked all the questions that there is to ask and that's not the case. Um, where can people find you and, and what you're up to? A lot of my photos are on a website called The Heart of Leeds, uh, one word. So uh, that's my website, theheartofleeds.com. And um, partly encouraged by you, uh, I've begun setting out some of the some of the things that interest me on web pages scattered about um, which are brilliant and you you've made one for uh, this podcast which is which is just incredible which is called Vermeer's Women Notes Towards a Podcast and I'll leave a link to that in the show notes as well so everyone can it's it's amazing it's so good and so beautifully how you've managed to make things very much line up as you scroll so you can compare once you've read I just love it yeah it was it was it did just start as as me making notes uh, uh when when I was thinking about making this podcast and I've really enjoyed that thanks Joe. no no thank you so much and yeah I can't wait for a new wave of Vermeer enthusiasts to come from this chat <laughs> okay Joe, that's thank great. you so much Lloyd and I will speak to you soon okay bye-bye bye, -bye. bye. And there you have it, another episode of the Joe's Art History Podcast. I just want to thank Lloyd once again for coming on and speaking so brilliantly about Vermeer and really questioning this incredible body of work from this really unbelievable artist, really. And I would thoroughly encourage everyone that's listening to please check out the show notes for further reading material, but more importantly, to visit the website which Lloyd has lovingly put together as an accompaniment to this podcast and the conversation that we have and it's actually something if you want to listen back to for example it's really great to sort of follow the conversation along as you use the website it's really really fantastic so please do check it out if you've enjoyed listening to today's episode please make sure that you like rate and subscribe and if you're able to it would be brilliant if you could leave the podcast a review as this helps people find us some exciting news was that the podcast was in the Apple UK Arts chart for the first time two weeks ago and we peaked at 145, that was the position, but considering that within that there's a lot of incredible podcasts, it was a complete honour to even for a few days enter onto the charts and we did kind of nosedive out of it the following, but still we were there and it was very, very exciting. As always, if you would like to get in touch and discuss anything that you heard in the show, please feel free to do so. You can email me, joesarthistory at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at joesarthistory. My DMs are always open and it's always lovely to hear from people who are enjoying the show, who have learnt something or even people that suggest topics that they themselves would like to hear. Very welcome to any and all suggestions for further episodes and topics. 
This podcast can also now be viewed on YouTube. Just look for Joe's Art History on YouTube and you can follow it along with subtitles. The links for all the reading materials which are in the show notes will also be available in the show notes on YouTube. Finally, my name is Jo McLaughlin. I have been your host and your friendly art historian for this episode. And thank you so much for listening. I look forward to welcoming you next time on the Joe's Art History Podcast. Until then, keep learning and remember, art is for all. Bye.